Turn with me to James chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 13. James here writing in chapter 4 verse 13 says this. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know that to what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I know we have prayed this morning, but can we pray again and ask God to bless our time in the Word? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you, Lord God, for your Word. Lord, it is prepared before us this morning as a feast, a feast for our souls. I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would illuminate all that is said and may everything bring glory to you. Lord, change us. Make us a more accurate reflection of your glory. May we not leave this place the same as we came, but changed. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. God's plan is supreme. In a technical sense, that makes a good bad an artifact, but we're going to cross the finish line. And you may feel like a lot of life is like that. Lord, I thought this was going to be a little more glamorous. God's plan is supreme. It's easy to say that when the job's going well, when the family made it to church on time. When all of these things, but God's plan is supreme, is still enacted even when it doesn't seem like it. James makes a point that he's, he's writing to a church, a fairly young church. James is the, is the half-brother of Jesus. He has been appointed what would probably be considered the bishop of the church in Israel. And as the church is beginning to uh, go out into the globe through, through various things... He, they are beginning to establish churches in other places, but as they get away from the flagpole, they're starting to kind of go back into their old ways or maybe let life around them shape what their Christianity looks like. So he writes this letter to them as kind of a realignment. I drive a, a, an older truck, and... If, in good shape, low mileage. I'm blessed to have it. I enjoy it. But as I pulled into a parking space two weeks ago, I cut my wheels pretty sharp to get into it, and I left them cut. And as I got out, I began to walk towards the office, and I looked, just happened to look down, and the inside of my front tire was smooth. Yeah, that's... I'm glad that Patty finds that fun. And I looked at the tires that came on this truck that was a blessing. I'm like, Lord, these are off-road, raised white letter tires. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. 
And so I go on, I'm feeling pretty good because I go on Amazon. You can find anything on Amazon. You buy a pet monkey on Amazon. <laughs> and I found kind of, the t kind of the tire, and I was like, well, I can order that. But there's a company here in town that, that they sell this brand. I'll just short circuit it, go there, get it all taken care of. And I go in, and you know, you always, you're going to talk to the guy. And I trust the guy. He, he wasn't trying to. But, you know, when they're looking at the computer screen and they're making noises like. <laughs> he said, what brand is it? And I told him the brand. And he, that's the one tire I have a hard time getting in. Of course it is. And they find, I, so what, but long story short, I bought new tires. And they, as part of that package, they took the truck in and they aligned it. So all, they give you this computer printout to show you what they did. And every one of the tires on that thing was just green, straight as an arrow, except for that one on the left. It's, right? It's just out there. Things get into misalignment and you have to bring them back in. Or they begin to cause problems. James see this with the church outside of Jerusalem. He's writing because he's getting word of these problems. And he is encouraging them. See, your Christianity, your faith isn't a one and done. And I would argue it's not even a, well, come in on Sunday and, and get some good music and a feel-good sermon and leave out. It's a constant, Paul uses the word supplication. And that word has kind of a dual meaning. One, it's a consistent prayer before God. And I'm going to tell you something. If your faith isn't to the level where you realize just how, how much you don't get, and you're constantly, if you feel bad because you're constantly knocking on, Lord, it's me, it's me again. I'm sorry. I know we just talked, but that's okay. He loves those prayers. But Paul says supplication. The word there is constant prayer constant prayer before God. The idea is working it. Making it soft. Some of you have played baseball before. You get a new glove and you take that thing and you, you put a baseball in it and you dunk it in water and you wrap it up so that it takes that form so that it's ready when you go play to catch that ball. Told a story this morning, years ago, I went to Belize on a missions trip. And one of the guys with us on the trip was a chiropractor. Now, Jason's back there. He's going to make sure I'm telling you right with this, so, so, so check me on it. But every night, he's, I don't know how he got a chiropractic table down to Belize. I don't ask those questions. But there it was. And every night, they would sneak over to Mexico and buy a pineapple I got invited because I was the only person brought a pocket knife. And we would have pineapple, and they would do adjustments. <laughs> Maybe there's a business plan in that. I don't know. But he would, I mean, now he was a substantially smaller man than me, so to get a hold of me, and there was times he had his knee up against me, and I'm against the wall, and he's, okay, I'm going to and every night he would adjust, and he said, okay, I've adjusted you, but the problem is you've been jacked up for so long that your muscles have conformed to that. And he said, you're going to walk out of here tomorrow, and everything's going to pull right back. Does that sound right, Jason? Everything's going to pull back into what it was. 
And so James is telling us in this book, some of y'all are pulling back into your old ways. And it's subtle, right? I mean, I didn't just get up off the table and all of a sudden, okay, I'm bad again. It was just through the day, I'm still walking the way I walked. I'm still kind of twisted the way I was twisted. And those muscles would pull it back in. So James writes this book as an adjustment to believers. Because we can kind of get caught up in the day-to-day. Reality breaks into our lives and we begin to live according to what we see rather than what we know. We're all guilty of it. And when tragedy comes in, it, it may accelerate that process. So James is talking to people. It would not have been uncommon for them to be business people in the church for part of their mode of operation to be to go into a foreign country and to spend some time there and to set up business and to make money. And they kind of get, that's how the gospel went forward a lot of times. Business people, not even pastors, but business people, hint, hint, people in the pews, hint, hint, going out into the world, And speaking the love of Jesus. I love reading the New Testament where they're like, well, we just got news there's a church in Antioch. Who knew? Yes, we should send some theologians down there to train them. I pray for that day. Peter, I'm sorry, James is reaching out and and he is writing this letter to them to bring correction, to bring realignment. And he says to them, look, It is easy for you to have such grand plans. We all are constantly, it is very hard to be in the moment of where you are. I just said it. We're talking about the holidays. Some of you are already decorating your tree in your mind. Already. You got them out the attic or you've dropped hints. Honey, you're going to need to get that stuff out of the attic. It's hard to live in the moment. In the right now, what is God doing? We're always planning for one day. We have these grand plans. And James attacks that directly. He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. He uses kind of a pause there. He uses a gathering word. He says, come now. Basically, it's like a coach. I was talking to Shedrick about this after first service. He said, when the team hears three three blows on the whistle, (laughs) they know to come. You're about to get information you need. In my neck of the woods, they'll be like, all right, everybody up, form on me and make a split. You don't even know you're telling God, God, this is what I'm going to do. I know you're okay with it. Or you're passing it by him in the secondary. And he's saying, look, your intentions there might not be bad, but it is a pattern that falls back on original sin, and that is I am constantly in my life trying to supplant God as the, the chief priest of my life, as the king of my heart. What did Satan tell Eve? There's knowledge there that they want to keep from you. We want to know. 
And when we don't know fast enough, we make plans and then try and, like, we're going to sneak it by God. We have grand plans. I tell you of this in my own life. Let's see, I've got a picture here. See if you recognize this fellow. It's been a long time since 1996. It didn't used to seem like that long ago. I had hair. 1996, I was a freshman at Southeastern University. It was about this time I met Tanya. That's a different story I'll tell you some other time. I have her picture too. You can find me after service. I'll show it to you. 1996, there I was. I was finally down at Southeastern. Now, I tell people I managed to fit four years of college into ten. But I had all, I knew what was going on. I knew what God wanted. I was down there. I had a plan. And it was also during that time I met a young woman. She was from Chapin, South Carolina. She loved God. She loved me. We were, I, I could see what my kids looked like. I had a plan. I knew what the next day was going to be. I knew where I'd be in 10 years. I was going to follow this pathway, and I was going to go that direction. And I knew God had brought this person into my life, and I just began to just dream, and it went. December of that year, we were getting ready to end the semester, and she, had, she played the flute. She had been contracted by one of the local churches to be part of their, their ensemble, to play for their Christmas cantata. A group of them went to practice one night during a terrible rainstorm. And on the way back from 60, where, where a lot of the, there's a lot of mines, sulfate mines and what have you down in that part of Florida, they came up on a tractor trailer that was stopped at a railroad crossing too quickly. Go ahead, you can show the next picture. And she, uh, she was in an automobile accident with about five other students from the school. And she was killed almost instantly. My world shattered. Everything I thought I knew was gone. Now in that, this is one of the few funerals I've been to that I praised God in it. And I thought I trusted him. But then I began to marinate because my plan was gone. Now, she knew God, and the moment that her soul departed in that car accident, she was standing before her father. She had been redeemed. Her testimony was one of such. She lived it in front of God, so that it was a sad time, and it was a glorious time at the same time. But like I tell people, after the fried chicken started, started coming, or stopped coming, then I was stuck with me and God. And I began to get bitter. And I began to get angry. And there were times that I ended up standing in a field and shaking my fist at God and telling him, I hate you. Even saying that now is a terrifying <laughs> thing to say. You're in a bad place. When you're standing before God and literally shaking your fist and saying, I hate you. Now, I praise God for his grace. 
because he looked at that like you would look at a two-year-old having a tantrum. Okay? He lovingly said, you, you're going to be all right. You'll be fine. Fast forward, years later, I, I, had, I had had to leave school shortly after that, worked a mundane job, just kind of went through a time in the desert. I ended up on staff at a church in Sumter. I can remember staying in the altar and sucking carpet, trying to still make sense of it all. Years later, and we'll get, get to that in a second, but years later, this crops up again. See, James is also pointing to a realignment of our thinking. He says, you, you, you need to bring that back into alignment. He says, you, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. See, we lose, when we lose knowledge of where we stand with God, we grab onto a false sense of control. We saw this during the COVID, so that we can live forever. We're on the verge of being able to create life in AI and a test tube and bring those together. We are God. You see that? We're, we're once again trying to supplant him on the throne of creation. We have achieved the knowledge of good and evil, and we are the arbiters of what that are, according to what our feelings are. We are God. And God said, And you began to see people break down. Anxiety and depression on higher levels than they ever have been. Because well, let me tell you something. When you put yourself on the throne of God and you come into the throne room and you see it's you, terror will fill you. We are incapable of taking on even an amoeba. James is helping us to realign that. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what illness lays around the corner. You don't know what accident might happen. Years later, as I told you, having suppressed this and not dealt with it and still allowed myself to think that I was in control and somehow or another I was going to come up with a plan and let God in on it just to kind of pass it by his desk and get a sign off on it, it didn't happen. And the smallest little thing brought me, once again, there's something about me in fields. If you ever see me standing out somewhere in a field, just, just let it be. I'm hashing it out with God. I was standing on a Sunday morning, I was standing in a field on Kusaw Island. It's been a few years ago, but and once again I'm standing there and I can remember telling God, I don't care whether you are real or not. I've had enough. I don't believe in you. Now that's all well and good. But in my, in my mind, there was a park bench that I was sitting on telling him that. And God comes and sits down beside me and said, but <laughs> yet here I am. <laughs> so what are we going to do about it? 
there is terror, but there is the ultimate comfort in telling the God of the universe that spoke all of this into creation, I don't know if I believe in you, and him saying, that's really immaterial, here I am. I had a Jeremiah moment. Jeremiah says, you deceived me. This is my, my favorite passage of scripture. You deceived me. You made me think I had a choice in this. <laughs> I can't get away from you if I try. And? <laughs> the God of the universe sat on that mental park bench with me and he said, I'm here. Now what are you going to do about it? Well, I guess we're going to go forward. That's what James is talking about. Get to the place in your mind where you have set. There's one person in control, and he knows better than you. And it may not be in alignment with what you're thinking, but his ways are perfect. And it may be painful, but comfort is not part of the prerequisites for this journey. It's not part of the prerequisite for you being where you need to be. And he loves you far more than you can imagine and far more away for your whims to somehow or another put you in a place where you miss him being there and sitting beside you and saying, I'm here no matter what, now what? There I was. That's where James is telling us. You get down to the bare bottom. You get down where you have boiled away all of the fluff and all of the shock and all of the wonder. And you're just stuck with a creator God who is there. And you can do nothing about it but simply trust in him. Job had a moment like that. He has gone through what is an unimaginable life. We're all familiar with the trials of Job. And then God turns to him and says, this is Job 38, 4 through 7. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its foundations set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Lord, I'm created in your image. But I'm created. You always have been. You always are. You always will be. Help me to remember where I am in that pecking order. Finally this. Know right and do right. James ends this section by saying, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him... It is sin. What is sin? Sin's not so much what you do. Think about it like this. Light, light has no shadow. I turned it on, there's light. I turn it off, there's not darkness, 
There's the absence of light. Christ is the light of the world. To do things apart from him, to attempt to do things apart from him, to say, I'm going to do X without saying, Lord, if it's your will, I will do is absence of light. So that's what James is saying here. If you continue in these ways, never giving account for God, never constantly supplicating yourself and running to the cross and saying, Lord, what is your will for this moment? What is your will for this encounter? What is your will for this job, for this family, for this child? What is your will? Without that is an absence of him illuminating it by the power of his Holy Spirit and by the truth of his word. It is an absence of the light. You're groping in darkness. You are in sin. You are lost. You are helpless. You are hopeless. To continue to do that is sin. I don't want to be in the dark. I want to live in the light. I want you to think about this. You all have responsibilities. Cars, houses, children, pets, jobs, grocery lists, fabric softener, laundry. We know, I keep trying that whole, Lord, you just, just let me know when that laundry's done. I just want to be in your presence. When you have three daughters and a Jack Russell terrorist, (laughs) those moments don't come. Praise God. In the midst of of that, hold on to the things of this world loosely. Lord, this is a gift from you. When we hold on to it loosely, then when things happen, Lord, it was yours. I trust you with it. Lord, it was yours. Do with it as you see fit. Lord, I'm yours. Do with me as you see fit. Hold on to the things of this world loosely. Hold on to this life loosely. But hold on to God very tightly, constantly, prayers of supplication, seeking his face. In the coming months, I know this board is already in prayer for who it is that God has to lead us forward. You, as a congregation, are going to be invited into that process through prayer and through supplication. We're going to enter into, I know we're going into the holidays, but we are going to enter times of fasting. Where we fast and seek God's face for what would you have us do? We're all going to be part of that. Supplicating. Allowing God's light to illuminate those who have been put forward. So that we know that we know that we know that when the person God has to stand in this place 
and proclaim God's word and to lead is who he has to do that. He will illuminate that. Anything else is sin. James reiterates something here that Paul touches on later in Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-22, Paul says this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this, this day, this challenge, this loss, this hardship, this job, this joy, this celebration, this wedding, this funeral, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Concerning me. Concerning us. I'll close with this, and our musicians are, are coming at this time. I can remember a time, I don't know why God speaks to me in the shower. If you see me in a field or you know I'm in the shower, just know I'm talking to God. And I'm just sitting there. I'm sitting in the shower. That's, that's the point I was at, sitting in the shower. Only thing that made it worse is I was trying to eat chocolate while I was doing it. <laughs> There's a mental picture you got to live with the rest of the day. And I'm just, I'm, I'm spent, right? And in my mind, I, again, I just got this imagination that, you know, I can't talk to God without a movie playing in the background. I'm in a swimming lane, and I'm swimming laps. And I could see the tiles on the bottom of the, the lane, and I could, I could, very clear, blue pool. And I thought to myself, God, I'm, I'm tired of swimming. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. And so I flipped on my back and sank to the bottom of that pool mentally. And I'm blowing bubbles up at the surface. And I'm watching them go to the top of the water. I'm thinking, as soon as I'm done with this, Lord, I'm going to breathe in and it's all going to be done. And in that moment, God spoke a word to me. But in that word, he spoke a thousand sermons. God will do that sometimes. He has an equity of language. And in that word, he looked down to me as I was laying in the bottom of that pool and I was blowing bubbles up and I'm just totally spent. I'm done. God, I'm through here. I'm going to exit now. And he said, breathe. What was he saying in that? God's the kind of, God's the kind of God that can chastise you and absolutely just gut you and obliterate you and you still be like, thank you so much. 
In that moment, God said, I know that you are hurting and you got good reason to be. I get it. And you are not displaying something that anyone else wouldn't do in your situation. Got it, Dave. Understand completely. But here's the thing you need to understand. I'm God. If I was done with you, you wouldn't be here. When I'm done with you, you'll be before me. There's no way to lose. But right now, there's still breath in your lungs. You woke up this morning. I need you to breathe. I've got things that you need to accomplish before it's all said and done. And so there I am, once again, with God. What do you do with that? You breathe. I don't know what next week's going to look like. I don't know what six months from now is going to look like. But I know God is saying, breathe. Every one of you still here. Every one of you is still loved by God. Every one of us still has work to do. There's somebody today at Agave or Walmart or the gas station you're going to stop on on the way home to nap. And they need to know the love of Christ. I was in a park yesterday and I saw a child and I was just like, what in the world's going on? Just kind of watching this thing. And God said, you're here to pray for them. Left the park, didn't, didn't, didn't know that until I left the park and that child was still on my mind. He said, you, you better pray. Might be the only person to pray for that child. It can be something like that. You may be the only person to intercede for some child you see passing in Publix. Well, God might place somebody in your life in that moment to speak the life-giving words of Christ. Breathe. You're still here. There's still stuff to do. Would you stand with me? Realignment. Lord, if it be your will, I'm going to leave from this place. Lord, if it be your will, I'm going to speak your life-giving words to somebody. I'm going to be a testimony. I'm still here. I'm still breathing. You still have a plan. Can you agree with me on that this morning? I didn't share this in the first service, but it came to me last night. I'm not going to try the Latin version of it because I'd butcher it, but the state of South Carolina has a motto. Did you know that? The state of South Carolina has a motto. It's really cool if you can say it in Latin. I can't. But it's while I breathe, I hope. That's what God left me with last night. While I breathe, I hope. 
While I breathe, I point towards the hope of Jesus Christ. Praise has a motto. Love God. Love others. What's the third part? Share hope. While I breathe, I hope. And I point others towards that with every breath in my being. Our God saves. Our God delivers. Our God brings peace. Our God brings hope. And when you die, our God brings you into his glory and holds you in his arms and says, well good, well done, good and faithful servant. In tears, there's excitement. Because in the darkness, we best see the light. Would you agree with me on that this morning? Let's close our eyes. Let's lift our hearts and our hands in prayer and pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord God, while we breathe, we hope. While we breathe, we commit our will to you. We commit our future to you. Lord God, while we breathe, we do your will. And when we cease to, we enter into your glory. Lord God, your breath is filling this house. The wind of your spirit is blowing upon us. Now empower us to go from here and make you known. We believe together for this in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.